the government and how we interact with the government. So we'll be using that as um, our way forward this morning as we think through the National Day of Prayer. We were reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and following, but before we do, let me pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we indeed need your help. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would give us uh, these things, that you would give us anointing, anointing both to the preacher and hearer alike. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and following. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges, judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Amen. Well, since Peter wrote this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the first century AD, think about how many different uh, governments Christians have seen come and go. As our brothers and sisters in Christ over the many centuries have lived all around the world, as we and they, as we have served uh, the one king as part of his kingdom, that is, uh, it is coming now and will come and last forever, eternally, believers have had to live under all sorts of different kinds of governments. So we think all the way back to the Roman Empire. They were at the same time both very organized and a very just society, but also in many other respects, um, a vicious society, a vicious government that would persecute believers. Only then in the early 4th century to co-op our religion for political reasons under Emperor Constantine. You think about the Visigoths uh, who, who came out of the French area who would destroy Rome and destroy any semblance of organization and justice. Believers were spreading like wildfire. As you think about those who lived under the unified, um, somewhat unified political regime that was called the Holy Roman Empire that lasted for centuries. Or you think about the, the rise of the parliamentary system and democracy, yet it, in other places where you had fierce um, monarchies where what the king said went. There was, there was no question asked. 
or to our brothers and sisters in Christ who even now live in places with terrible despots under terrible tyrants like in North Korea. How are, how are we as believers supposed to interact with the government? It's hard for us as, as American believers to, to think through this because as American believers we have been so blessed with a fantastic form of government that is largely patterned on actually the Presbyterian form of government with representative democracy. Um, But how are we as believers, as we step back and and try to look at our own culture somewhat objectively, how are we to interact with the government? What is our role? What is our duty? What is our responsibility? We could go in a lot of different ways, but this morning I want to submit to you two things. The first is that we are called to submit, and the second is that we are called to to pray. The overarching theme of this passage is the call for us to submit to the governing authorities over us. For us, it means that we are to accept the, the rule of uh, our three branches of government as we obey them. And for most people in America, this is a, something that we understand that is ingrained in us that we are to support our country. But this might be different elsewhere. This isn't an automatic given, isn't it? As we think about what Peter has been saying in 1 Peter, one of the overarching themes is the idea that we are exiles, that we are sojourners, that we don't belong to this world. Indeed, we belong to heaven. Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. We serve a king. In many respects, we are under foreign rule as our true king is Jesus. We live in a place that is not our own. Bruton may be where you've lived all your lives, but it's not your true homeland if you know the Lord Jesus. Your true homeland is the new Jerusalem that will descend upon the earth when Christ returns again. So if we don't belong here, how are we supposed to live here? How are we supposed to interact with our government? Well, Christians have responded to this in many different ways throughout the ages. The vast majority have followed Peter's commands here and and Paul in Romans 13 where he expands on this theme. In Matthew 22 where Jesus says we are to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. But some have removed themselves. Some have seen that they needed to separate themselves as much as possible from the world and from civil government. There was a group called the Anabaptists, not to be confused with modern Baptists that was um, uh, running rampant during the Reformation era in which they sought to stay away from civil authorities as best as they could. Or we think about the Amish in today's world. I don't think that's what we're called to do. But what about rebel? Are we called to rebel against authority? Legitimate authority, that which has been put here by God? Romans 13.2 raises this bar quite high. It says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. I don't think that we're meant to take up our arms against our government. Especially when we think about Peter's world. Do you know who the emperor was in Peter's world? It was Nero. Now, Nero was a particularly evil guy. In the days before electric lighting outside, he would um, soak Christians in tar and put them on a stake and light them on fire 
to light his um, dinner parties. This was not a nice kid. Okay? And so when we read that, that Peter says submit to the governing authorities, there's certainly tension here, isn't there? In fact, Peter himself would be beheaded by uh, Nero, if tradition is correct. But we have examples in Scripture of how we are to interact, of, of what it means to submit, even when, it's, um, when it costs us. We think about Jesus and His example. When He was persecuted and, ex- and executed, he, he didn't fight, but remained silent and submitted to an unjust death. As we think about John the Baptist, what did He do when He was jailed and then beheaded? Did He lead His disciples in an uproar against the Romans? No. What about the apostles in Acts chapter 5 when they were imprisoned for preaching the word? They rejoiced actually. They rejoiced for given the privilege of suffering for the name. What about Stephen when he was arrested and stoned? You know what he did? He prayed for those who were killing him that the Lord would forgive him. How did James, the brother of John, respond when Herod arrested and killed him? He, he didn't fight. How did Peter himself respond when Herod in turn arrested him and and planned on killing him? He didn't lead his followers against the Romans either. He didn't rebel, but patiently waited for the deliverance of the Lord. And what about Paul? Five times he was beaten with 39 lashes, three times with rods, shipwrecked three times and harassed by the Jewish leadership everywhere he went. Did he take up arms? Did he lead the charge against the authorities? No, he humbly pressed on, working toward the goal of the upward call of God. What does it mean to submit, I wonder? As this text tells us very explicitly, be subject to submit oneself to the government. The first is it means to obey. You cannot submit to someone unless you obey them. Romans 13.1 tells us that we are to obey because God has ordained all authority. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. God has instituted the authorities on this earth and He stands behind them. Indeed, all authority belongs to God. Religious, spiritual, civil, military, all of it belongs to the Lord. And then He delegates that authority to those whom He puts under Him even in civil society, as they work towards peace in an ordered community. This means, by the way, that even when the laws are crazy, we have to obey them. You know there's some really crazy laws out there? I googled them. You know you can believe everything you find on the internet. Um, But in Detroit, Michigan, uh, willfully destroying an old radio is illegal. In California, did you know that it is illegal to eat a frog that has died in a frog jumping contest? In Kansas, a poorly worded law says that if two trains meet on the same track, it is illegal for either one of them to move on until the other one has passed. In New Jersey, it is illegal for any man to knit during the fishing season. In West Virginia, it is illegal to whistle underwater. I would like to see you try that. And did you know that in Alabama, it is illegal to hang anything from your rearview mirror? I didn't know that until recently. Um, you know, certainly these are silly examples. 
But what about when the law says we have to pay taxes on things we order online? Or when one county has blue laws that make the whole county dry? Or when a ridiculously low speed limit is imposed on a long stretch of highway? The reality is that we are called to submit to the governing authorities. We are called to obey even when it hurts our bank account, our convenience, our pride, or even our lives. But certainly there's tension here, right? I mean, we aren't called to obey unlawful laws. For our first and foremost loyalty is not to the state, it is to the Lord God. And so that that is why believers must, must not submit to laws that go against God's holy law. Abortion laws, horrendous. We cannot submit to the will of our courts that would allow the lawful taking of a child's life. We cannot submit and support laws that promote, promote euthanasia. And we should speak loudly against those laws that put the least of these in jeopardy or infringe on the dignity of those made in the image of God. When it comes to unlawful laws, laws that go against the word of God, then we are called disobey. But I think you'll find that in our society, it's very rare that those laws come up. And we can't use those, uh, that as an excuse very often. When we obey, we do it for the Lord's sake, as we read in verse 13. We do it for the Lord's sake. You know, when you're, you called your children to obey you growing up, they were obeying you, but whom were they really obeying? They were obeying the Lord. And so too, it is a call for us to obey the Lord as we obey the civil government. In fact, the civil government has been given a very important task, according to verse 14, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. I think the one that we often miss is found in verse 17. We find these fourfold commands ending with this one, honor the emperor. Can you imagine how that must have um, struck the original recipients of Peter's letter? But Peter, don't you know that the emperor is Nero? To honor the emperor could mean many things, but at the very least, it means watching how we speak of those who are in power above us. Um, Did you watch much of the presidential cycle last year? It was hard not to. It was like a moth to flame. Uh, Now, one thing that really struck me was how well everybody spoke about each other. Everyone was so nice and kind. No, that's not quite true, is it? Fox News, MSNBC, whatever political spectrum you find yourselves on, no one was speaking highly of each other. We can disagree. We should disagree. It's allowed in the Word and it's allowed in our system of government, but we certainly have to watch how we speak of those in authority over us. Well, how do we submit? Verse 16, as one commentator puts out, uh, points out that there are three ways that we are called to submit. And the first is that we submit as those who are free. See, here's the thing. We have been freed by the Lord Jesus Christ from sin and death. If you are a believer here this morning, if you have received a new heart from God, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins, if He is your Lord and Master, if He is your King, then you are free in Christ. 
See, here's the thing, that our God, He is King of kings, and He is Lord of lords, and He is a just God, and He is a just King, and we deserve to be punished. As we think about the role of government from from verse 14, to punish those who do evil and to commend those who do good, we're, we're not on the good side. Apart from Christ's love and apart from Christ's grace and His mercy, we deserve to be punished. We are the evildoers. And the law must be upheld. And it has been upheld. Because someone has been punished for us. See, God sent His Son Jesus to be punished on our account that we might be saved and that we might be free, that we might no longer be in bondage to sin, that we might no longer be in bondage to those things which enslave us. And now as those who are free, we are freed up not to serve ourselves but to serve others. We are freed up not to serve ourselves but to serve God. We are freed up from unhelpful thinking. We are freed up, as 1 Peter 1 says, from futile thinking. We have the Word of God to direct us in truth, and we have the Holy Spirit to grant us wisdom and power. And as those who have been freed up, we have been freed up, I think, to engage in the political system. As we think about whom, who has the truth, it is those who have the Word. Outside of the Word of God, outside of the logic that is God's law, man has no dignity, and therefore the laws against murder and euthanasia and abortion, these things would make no sense. We are those who have been set free. But we aren't meant to use our freedom as a cover-up from evil. I think um, in, in Peter's day, he's especially thinking um, of the reality uh, that believers in that period were seen as traitors automatically because they would not sacrifice a Caesar. They would not support Caesar as Lord. And so they were seen automatically as those who are subversive. He said, don't use your your freedom as a cover-up for evil so that when others look at you, you'll put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, according to our text. But for us, I think it can look in that way and also other ways as I think about politicians who would use the name of God to get the vote. I think that's a real problem. That we would feign um, piety in order to gain political capital. We're also called to um, engage as servants of God. See, our freedom is not, does not mean that we have freedom over every part of our lives to make whatever decisions we want. Our freedom is subservient to our service to the Lord. And I think we are called to serve Him and to serve each other. Well, we are sec- first called to submit to the governing authorities. We're also called to pray. As we've mentioned several times in our service this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Can you think of all the different ways we can pray for those who are in authority over us? 
I mean, the, the list is endless. That they might be converted, that they might withstand temptation, that they might govern with wisdom, that they might apply the truths of Scripture to their jobs, that they would bless, the Lord would bless their families, that they would not forget the poor and widows or make laws to hurt them, that they would be impartial and fair, that they would bring peace. They would not serve themselves, but serve each other and serve the Lord and on and on and on. How are we doing in this regard? I, know I don't pray very well or very often for those in authority over us. That's my confession. I forget to. It's not a priority in my life. But certainly it is something we need to do better. And this week gives us this opportunity as we move forward to the National Day of Prayer, as we enter into a concerted time together as God's people to pray for our nation. But as we interact with this imperfect world, with an imperfect system, with imperfect people, with imperfect governments, what does it do? It points us to our King. It points us to the kingdom that is coming in which there won't be any graft or corruption, persecution or famine, despots or coup d'etats. We don't live in a perfect government now, but we will live in a perfect government when Christ comes again because we serve a perfect king. How can this be? It is because Christ himself knows what submission looks like. He knows what it means to obey. For he has obeyed his Father that he would come and he would submit himself to death. Indeed, Philippians 2.8 says this, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Why would he do this? Because here's the thing, you and I live apart from him in the kingdom of one, me. We're so focused on ourselves, we can't see our own sin. And so the king against whom we had sinned, he had to come and lay down his life for us that we might live forever in his eternal kingdom. And may that day come soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace. The love with which you have loved us and the grace you have lavished upon us. We thank you that while we were in rebellion against you, while we were still sinners, while we were your enemies... You sent your Son to die for us, the ungodly. Lord, we yearn for the day where justice is perfect and peace is final. Until then, Lord, we do pray for our government. Help us to be more diligent in prayer for our government, that you might move in our midst. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.